Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, good morning again, and uh, Robert Sherrill shared with me just a few minutes ago, uh, we had a membership class, and a few dozen of you were in there during the last service, and then a bunch of people were, uh, after the service, uh, uh, getting information about being baptized tonight. We have a baptism class right after this service down in the Life Center. If that's something you're interested in, in doing, I hope that you will check that out as we'll be having a great experience this afternoon at five. It is week five of Daring Faith, and uh, some of you were with us a couple weeks ago. Recall that we looked at a scripture that showed that we can learn a lot about faith by looking at successful athletes and soldiers and particularly farmers. And that's where I want to kind of dive back in this morning and look more at the farming metaphor because the Bible compares Christian life in a number of settings to farming. Now, most of us today obviously aren't farmers uh, and maybe never even grew up around a farm, but there are still things that we can learn from that that apply across all of our lifestyles and life approaches. The Bible says, don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. Or what we sometimes say, you know, you, you reap what you sow. What a person sows is what they reap. Now, sow, for most of you, the word is not S-E-W. It's S-O-W. Some of you understand that. Some of you, though, the idea of the only sowing you've ever heard of is sowing with a needle and thread. And we do have a wonderful ministry here, our quilt ministry, I was reminded of, that does that and prepare, they've prepared a couple of thousand plus quilts for, to give away. Uh, but, but today we're going to look at the S-O-W, sow and reap. It's a, really a law of life, um, not, not even specifically even always Christian, that there are, there are good consequences and bad consequences of what we do. So good things and there are blessings, so bad things and people suffer. The, the law of sowing and reaping is, is true in, in our relationships. It, it can be true in our health, how we manage that. It can be true in our finances, uh, in our careers, whatever, in our families, whatever you, wherever you place it. And the beauty of it is, is it doesn't have to be accidental. You don't have to fall into it. You can intentionally use it to avoid harm and, and to bring blessing. So what do we sow, S-O-W? Well, we sow seeds. That's the, the historical framework. Pretty much everything starts as seeds, the bare essence of, of what something will become. And so if you sow dissension in, in a group, watch over time it grow into conflict. So a few unkind words into a, 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 a relationship and before long it, it damages the relationship. But sow forgiveness into that relationship and watch it turn around. So kind and encouraging words into your child and watch them blossom before your very eyes. So what does the Bible tell us about sowing and reaping? That's what we're going to look at this morning. And if you have your notes, you can take them and follow along and uh, use that to, complete, to take notes uh, if you like. Number one, nothing happens until a seed is planted. Now, uh, let me just say, most of the things I'm going to say this morning are, they're not going to be a surprise to you, they're, they're, they're logical, but we're going to apply them maybe and, and think about them in a bigger context. Uh, y y until you plant a seed in the ground, nothing happens. 
You know, I go to the store and I buy a bag of seeds and I bring them home and I set them on a shelf in my garage, then I'm going to be kind of stupid if I think that somehow those seeds are going to grow out in my yard when I've never planted them. We don't get something from nothing. We have to start. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone, but its death will produce many new kernels. Uh, He was speaking in terms of resurrection. There's no resurrection until there is death, but also saying that no seed grows until it's in effect what seems to be killed, planted in the ground. I mean, imagine that farmer who buys the seed but doesn't plant it and then wonders why nothing's growing in his fields. Or he, he buys the seed and he's afraid to plant it because if I plant it, then I lose control of it. I, it's no longer, I, I no longer have it. I've now put it out in the dirt. I've put it out there where I, it, I cannot maybe go back and reclaim it or find it again. In that regard, planting is an act of faith. It is believing that when I plant a seed, it will grow, that something will come of it. And that means it's risky because at first, you plant something, you don't see anything happening. The ground just stays put. Nothing, nothing is there. It's all beneath the surface. And, and even though things are occurring beneath the surface, we don't necessarily see it. So we get worried. We start to question, should I have done this? We have this expectation that it should happen right away. It can be hard while we're pl- waiting to see that, wait for that, that first shoot to kind of break through the ground. But by faith... By faith, we plant because we believe it will grow. Jesus said something very interesting about planting by faith in the kingdom of God. He said in Mark 4, the kingdom of God is like someone who plants seed in the ground. Night and day, whether the person is asleep or awake, the seed still grows. But the person doesn't know how it grows. Sometimes we're afraid to plant because we don't see how it's going to help. We don't understand how it's going to make a difference. We don't see how it's going to happen. We, we can't reason from point A to point B, and even though the Bible may tell us this is the way to live or this is how we should do something, if we can't reason it all out, a lot of times we fail to do it. But Jesus tells us that sowing for the kingdom of God produces a harvest, even if we do not understand the mechanics of the process. I may not understand how forgiving someone who has hurt me can help. Or choosing to love when it's hard. Or or investing my time in another person who doesn't seem particularly interested. Or spending time each day with God in a daily devotional time and reading my Bible. Because when I first start doing any of those things, I may not see any change whatsoever. But Jesus says the seed is still growing. Even if I don't understand it, if I don't see anything happening, God is at work when we plant seeds for his kingdom. And and even though we, we don't understand how it will help, how it can make a difference, how it can make life better, by faith we trust God at his word, at what he tells us in his Bible, And we plant that seed. The Bible is full of something like 7,000 promises. 
And so many of those, we're afraid to plant because we just don't believe that what's planted will grow. The key for you and me is to begin planting seeds, planting the truths of God's kingdom and keep doing it. Because if we don't sow, we won't reap. There can be no harvest. A farmer doesn't look, to, look at his field and, and pray that the seed will grow unless he has planted it. You can't go around and pray for something if you haven't planted in ways for God's to work in it. God's not going to honor a prayer like that. You and I should be planting seed all the time, all around us, in every setting. See, some of you are waiting on God to do something in your life. You're waiting on him to fix something or take care of something. When in reality, God may be waiting on you to first plant a seed so that he will work. Big difference. Seed has to be planted before it will grow. Second, whatever I plant is what I will reap. If a farmer plants corn, is he going to get watermelons? You know? If he plants green beans, is he going to get tomatoes? We always reap whatever we sow, whatever we plant. Galatians 6 says you will reap exactly what you plant. And it works both ways. And again, this is not necessarily even a biblical principle. It's a principle. It is a biblical principle because it's a principle of life. But even if you're a non-believer, these things are true. If I plant hostility or hatred or selfishness, that's exactly what I reap. But if I plant patience and kindness and goodness and love, then eventually that is also what I will reap. As scripture affirms, whatever I, I dish out is what, is what I'm going to get back in life. It, 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 gives, it shows this. In the negative, whoever sows sin reaps weeds. You have wickedness. You have reaped evil. You have, I mean, you have planted wickedness. You have reaped evil. On the reverse, the positive, one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Plant the good seeds of righteousness, and you will, re- receive a, you will harvest a crop of love. Uh, James 3, those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. The principle runs all through the Bible and all through life. You reap what you sow with your children, with your wife or your husband, with your friends, with your business, with your anger, with your patience, with your finances, you name it. Going back to Galatians 6, it says, the person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, excuse me, eternal life. Whatever I plant is what I'll reap. And, and the third, and this is really a, a big point, is that I'm not then the only sower. I'm not the only sower. I'm not the only planter in the universe. There are other people around you planting. And, and, and you are reaping from those around you who are planting, for good and for bad. Some of you grew up in families with a history of abuse or addiction. I'm very sorry. I don't say that lightly. 
You, you, you can't control where you came from. But you can break the chains. You can decide to break those chains now. You, you're harvesting good and bad from your past because you're not the only person sowing. Everything each of us does has consequences in our lives and the lives of others and the lives of, of those who come after us for future generations. And you and I are reaping some of the harvest for those who came before us in all kinds of ways. Maybe you're, you started your life with healthy finances because of decisions your family made before you. Maybe you've had a strong marriage because your, your parents modeled that for you in an incredible way. Maybe following Christ comes more natural to you because your parents did it and they taught you and they lived that out before you and helped you and encouraged you to experience that. My wife Susan grew up in a, a godly home where both parents were committed to Christ and, and to his church. But what I know about her is it didn't start there. Back in the 1750s, ancestors of Susan's came to America uh, from Ireland, before that Germany, and they'd learned about this, this a vibrant kind of Christian faith from a man named John Wesley who started the Methodist movement in, in England and Great Britain. And a great, 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 great ancestor of hers named Peter Sparling became a pastor back then here in America in the 1750s. And every generation up through Susan's grandfather, there was a Methodist pastor. Every generation, all the way back to the 1750s. Now, it skipped one generation with her parents, who were both very godly, godly people, but I think God made up for it because he made her and her sister both pastors, so it kind of caught up. Now, I mean, I've, I've witnessed that. I've witnessed what she grew up with, and, and it's been such a blessing. And some of you are thinking, well, that's great for her, but I sure didn't come from a family like that. I don't have that. For some of you, you are maybe the first Christian in your family. And you may be wishing that you have, had had a legacy like my wife has had. You know what I would tell you today? Start one. You start a legacy. You start that for your family so that someday another pastor or another friend can stand in some place and talk about how someone in the early 2000s had such faith that it played itself out two and three centuries later if Jesus doesn't come back before then. And, and you can do it. You can start today. You can start right where you are. If you're single, you can start right there. If you're married, you can start right there with your family. But you can start today. You can't change the past. I know that. But you can decide that future generations of your family are going to be blessed because by faith you are going to plant seeds of love and godliness and generosity and faith and more. You start today so that those who come after you will inherit an incredible legacy of faith. Jesus said, I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. 
Others had already done the work. And now you will get to gather the harvest. Jesus says we're always standing on the shoulders of others. There, there is always a legacy. Here is a church. We are standing on the shoulders of others. This church was only begun in 1992, but already we have thousands of spiritual children who have spread out across this area and around the world. We have children who grew up in this church who are serving Christ in their families and in workplaces, who are even on the staffs of churches and serving around the world as missionaries. Millions of dollars have been invested in mission and ministry here and across the globe. And in the case of many of you, it, was, it occurred before you ever got here. You already are standing on the legacy of those who have come before you. But they didn't do it so that you could sit back and just suck it all in. They did it so that you could continue the legacy. You have the opportunity to build on those who have gone before you. And if the setting you came out of wasn't the greatest, you have the opportunity. By the grace of God, you have the power now to change that for those who come after you. I want to tell you the saddest thing I see as people who just live for themselves. And it's really a lie. Because everybody has had someone invest in them. Every one of us, whether we realize it or not. And we have the opportunity then to pay it forward, if you will. To invest in others. It's never simply for us. Jesus calls us to be disciples. But not simply so I can say, look, I'm a disciple. Yay! No, he calls us to become disciples who go and make disciples. It never ends with us. If it does, that's unhealthy. We are always about multiplication of disciples who make disciples who make disciples. We are in the legacy building business. And the moment we stop, the church dies in that generation. We are in the legacy-building generation. Number four, I often reap in a different season than I sow. In other words, plants take time to grow. You know that. You don't plant a seed and, okay, I planted it, boom, I got my crop right there. There is no instant maturity in, in life, nor is there in faith. You look at overnight successes. People talk about overnight successes. And what I've seen from people who were labeled overnight successes when I've talked to them is they will usually talk about it was a very long and sometimes hard night to get to that overnight success. Ecclesiastes says, for everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to plant, and a time to harvest. I mean, it's that simple. There is a time to plant, and there comes a time to harvest. It's not instantaneous. Fruit ripens gradually. It doesn't happen all at once. Growing up, my dad raised camellias. They're a kind of flowering bush, um, and, and he started sometime probably a little bit before I was born, and, but he raised them, and at one point, we probably had in a very small, relatively small yard about a 1,200, 1,400-square-foot house we had about 150 camellia bushes. I mean, it was a zoo. And, and I, I, I used to be afraid of the bees, okay? You know? But I just, my dad finally convinced me, if you don't mess with the beehive, they're fine. Because we had, this time of year, we had bees everywhere. 
But it was, it was interesting to watch because I really just kind of observed this. I, I, I watched in the early years not really knowing what my dad was doing as he and, and, and my mom would help, would work hard to prepare the soil and, and get these plants in good shape and fertilize them and care for them and do all these things. And, and early on, of course, they had some flowers and they were nice, but it took years and at one point, though, they got better and better at it, and they started entering them into shows. And I remember one time going to a, a place, I think it was going to later be my junior high, in the cafeteria, walking in, and we were trying to find one of their flowers, and we couldn't find it. And finally, we realized in the center table that was all built up, there it was. It was the, the, it was the winner of the show. It was the grand prize winner. And it was amazing. It was one of the highlights for my dad of, of things that he had done, that he had, he had got best of show in these camellias. But what I learned is he didn't, he didn't just, it didn't just happen. He didn't just put a plant in the ground and suddenly they were there. It took years of working them and tending them and coaxing them. And, and again, in the first years, there were a few blooms, but later there were more and more, and they were bigger and more beautiful to the point where I can remember by the time I was in probably junior high school, my mom, well, my dad every Sunday morning would get up and he would cut literally dozens of these camellias. And he knew how to get them, not like this, but get them like this. And, and now some of you, nobody here is wearing a camellia, so you might think this was weird, but she would take them in these boxes three, four dozen of them, we'd, boys, we'd carry them to the church, and all the ladies would put them on, and they'd all be walking around with these camellias, and they loved it. They loved it, you know? And, and it was just something that my folks did, and, and, and it just illustrated that it didn't happen all at once. It didn't just occur. There was a time to plant, but there was then later a time of harvest. We need to realize that when we plant a seed, we don't get the harvest immediately. I have to be patient. I, I can't give up when I do that. Galatians again says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. We have to stay with it. We have to be patient. We have to understand that in our faith, like in anything else, there aren't instantaneous results. In fact, sometimes and sometimes you and I will never see the harvest of what we plant in faith for the sake of others. Some of us, you will never see it. You never will. That person may move, you may die, whatever. But I want to tell you, I've heard enough stories of things that some of you or others planted that have now come to fruition. I've seen it. It's incredible. It happens. God will bring a harvest at the right time if we plant. Fifth, then, I always reap more than I sow. I, I remember early on in my adult life, I decided I was going to build a little garden. So I, I cleared some land alongside a fence, and it was only about this wide and maybe six or eight feet long. And I got some topsoil, and I brought it in and did the stuff, and I planted green beans, and I planted a row of corn, and you know, I, I planted the corn in each of the little kernels of corn, put them in, covered them up with the dirt, and lo and behold, they, they, I planted, and they did start to grow, and they, the, the sprout came up, and the stalk came up, and it got higher and higher. Thankfully, it didn't go over the privacy fence, so my neighbors wouldn't complain, and, uh, and, and then I was able to go in there, and I was able to reap a single, ear, a single kernel of corn off each one of those plants. Because I planted a kernel, right? That's what I would get, right? No. I planted a kernel 
And on each of those stalks, I got three to six or seven ears of corn, each of them with hundreds of kernels of corn. Our world understands that I always reap more than I sow. It, it, it wouldn't work very well if I only got one kernel back. I mean, I'm, I'd always be stuck. Do I plant it? Do I eat it? What do I do with it? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. The, the, the math, the multiplication, there's no way. We don't have any way of feeding each other. But thank God he created a world where I can reap more than I sow. In a parable Jesus told that we call the parable of the soils, he talks about the way that different types of soil are more productive than other types when we sow. And some do well, some don't do very well, but some do very well. And he said, still other seed, Jesus said, still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Now notice the word multiplying. Not addition, not replace, multiplying. That's what Jesus does when we plant his way. And what's interesting is scholars tell us the kind of crops they were planting would have typically given up anywhere from 5 to 15 times the yield for the number of seed, 5 to 15. We'll say, let's take 10 as an average. He is saying that it's at least 30 times, maybe 60 times, even 100 times. That's triple to 10 times what you would typically expect when you are planting the good news of God, that God is at work in tremendous ways. And this can work for you, but like anything, it can work against us, depending on what kind of seed you're planting. You plant gossip, and you're gonna get a lot of gossip back. You know those people who are always gossiping? If you're one of those people who always gossip, everybody knows it. Man, it just, it just becomes this thing. You plant criticism, if you're always the one complaining, cutting other people down, you're gonna, you're gonna see a lot of it coming back at you. There is exponential potential in every seed planted. Uh, an old saying says, anybody can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the apples in a seed because one seed can produce so many apples. And of course, and it's, it's, it's pretty obvious that I increase my harvest by planting more seed. I mean, I told you this isn't rocket science. Some of you, you do rocket science. I understand that. This isn't all rocket science. The Bible says that we reap in proportion to what we sow. Second Corinthians says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, Typically, we think of those passages, and they were. They were really geared toward financial giving, the giving of the tithe or 10% of our income, which is, which is biblical, which is what God tells us to do. But the truth is, this is a biblical principle that applies beyond finances. It applies in all areas of our faith life. The more generous I am with my time, the more generous I am with my talents, the more generous I am with my treasure, the more there is to reap. The motivation, though, here is not greed. The motivation is I don't reap so that I can get more. The, the motivation is I don't give more so that I can get back because that is greed, that is selfish, that's not healthy. The motivation is gratitude and joy and obedience because God says God loves a cheerful giver. He, he wants you to do it out of your heart. That's why we tell you, you know, if you don't feel led to give an offering, don't give an offering. 
Because ultimately, the, the offering is about your relationship with God, okay? And he is the only one that you have to account to. And he says, if you can't do it with a cheerful heart, don't do it. And so he, he loves it, though, because it is his nature to be generous. God so loved the world that he gave. That's his nature. And so he loves to see that in his children, whether it's finances or whether it's kindness or serving or helping others in love. Proverbs 11.24 says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Seven, the more seed I plant, the more God will entrust to me. God works, wants to work in and through people who are living a daring faith and striving to follow his son to be more and more generous. Jesus is the perfect example for us. How far was he willing to go? He was willing to give his life for us on the cross as the ultimate example of sacrificial generosity for the sake of others. And he shows that he desires that kind of lifestyle in each one of us. Not necessarily that every one of us is going to have to lay down our life physically in death, but that we are willing to sacrifice ourselves and what we think is most important for him and for his kingdom. Jesus told another parable, the parable of the talents, showing that God was pleased with a each person in that parable who used what God had given them to its fullest ability. And it's very interesting. He didn't compare them. He didn't say, you should have done what he did or he should have done what you did. He simply judged each one of them based on their own merits. He didn't want them to look at others, but simply what was it that God had given to them. But the one person who wasted his talent and it was the, the, script, the parable says Jesus said they took it away from him and gave it to another person who had used well what had been entrusted to him. And then Jesus concludes by saying, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Are you daring to act in faith with what God has entrusted to you? Your time. you use it in God-honoring ways? Not just, I come to church one hour a week. Am I giving my time throughout the week? Am I aware of you, Jesus? Am I talking to you as I go through my day? Am I praying in situations and for people? Am I using my talent, whatever God is? It's not like anybody else's exactly, but am I using it for God's glory? My talent, maybe I'm great with numbers and I'm an incredible CPA. That's fantastic. And I guarantee you there are ways that you can use that for the kingdom as well. Or am I using my treasure, the things that God has entrusted to me financially? Whatever it may be, are you using it or are you wasting it? Because he says if we use well what he has entrusted to us, he will entrust even more. Eighth, I plant by faith, not by feelings. Too, too often folks aren't generous because they don't feel like being generous, and so they go by their feelings. 
but we must plant by faith, not by our feelings. When the farmer gets up in the morning, he says, you know, man, it's going to be a hard day out there. I just don't think I'm going to get up on that tractor and I'm going to go work. And the next day he says, boy, that felt good yesterday. I, I think it just feels good. I think I'm going to stay home again today. And he gets out a few weeks and it, he's kind of gotten into a nice little habit here. And then he gets to the end of the growing season and there's nothing growing. Do you think that's going to go well for him? Do you think that's the way it, 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 it works? Nothing gets done unless we plant. There is no harvest. And we can't do that always just by our feelings. The world says, do it. Go by your feelings. And there are times when it is okay. But the truth of the matter is, there is much more in life that you and I need to do in spite of our feelings. Much more. We go by faith. Psalm 126 said, those who plant in tears, in other words, when it's hard, will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. It's worth it, he says. There are promises, these verses are a promise to us that when we continue planting, even when it is hard, even when we do not feel like it, God assures us the harvest will be worth it. Even if a God is leading us to a time and a, and, and a place of sacrifice, we keep going. Some people say, well, I don't want to sacrifice. Why would I do that? Well, because anything worth anything in this life, you sacrifice for. And if you never sacrifice for your faith, does it mean anything for you? Ultimately, you've got to ask, what's first in your life? That's a whole nother talk we did before. But we ought to be able, to some degree, to sacrifice everything except that which is most important. And, and it may be a sacrifice of time or talent or treasure and, in some cases, even a life. Now, here in America, that's not very likely, not likely at all. But you and I better not forget that today there are places in this world where there are men and women of God, Christians, who are living out that choice very real. Will I, will I stand up for my faith and take the chance that I may lose my life? And many of them make the choice to do so. I'm not saying you and I come to that kind of faith instantaneously. But you and I need to be thinking about if, if I'm not sacrificing, period, how can I expect to ever get to the point where I can say, it's all yours, Lord, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Finally, the best time to plant is now. You don't want to wait for a better time. The sooner the better. It's not when I retire. It's not when the kids get bigger. It's not when I get through that project, that big project at work. It's not when I get the house taken care of. It's not when I get done with whatever it is. Then I'll get serious about God. That's not the way it works. That's not living by faith. That's living by circumstance. 
That is putting you at the whim of whatever happens in life. And let me tell you, there will always be something else. There will always be something more that if I'll just, when I get to this point or when this happens or then I will, and you will find that you get to the end of life with a lot of woulda, coulda, shouldas and not much to show for the kingdom of God. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says, those who wait for perfect weather will never plant seeds. Those who look at every cloud will never harvest crops. Rick Warren had this quote, and I thought it was a good one. Perfection paralyzes potential. Perfection paralyzes potential. One of these days becomes none of these days. One of these days I'm gonna. One of these days I'm gonna. One of these days. If you find yourself saying that, look out. You know, they say the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. Next best time, today. That's all we're saying. Maybe you have been putting off coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Got more questions. I got more questions. Maybe today is the day you need to do that. And our prayer team would be down here and they'd love to talk with you. And then you could go and be baptized this evening. Or you've been putting off being baptized. And you can right after this, we're over, right down in our life center, go and talk with some folks about getting baptized today. It's taking a concrete step of demonstrating faith, of being marked as a Christ follower. Maybe you've been putting off doing something that you sense God leading you to do. Do it today. Maybe there's a place to serve that you've thought about or, or a gift that you need to give or a phone call you need to make or an I'm sorry that you need to say. Maybe there's a family member or a coworker that you could invite to our Easter services or one of our regular services. Easter's only a month away, believe it or not. But whatever it is, by faith, do it. Dare to plant. Don't worry about where it ends up. Just take the next step in your journey. Don't become a slave to regret. Don't become a slave to fear. You sang about that. Dare to live in faith for Christ today and begin to build a legacy for those who are coming after you. Let them know they have a great foundation to stand on because you built by faith. Again, our prayer team will be here. Uh, if you're new today, we'd love to meet you right outside these doors, and if you're a Gateway family, feel free to bring them over there with you. Introduce them to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who dared to live for you so fully that he died on the cross for us. Father, that demonstration of faith, daring faith, is a call for us as well. You call us to follow him, to live by faith. And it's hard, God. It's hard. 
but help us to know that we can plant seeds and we can live by faith and we can see a great harvest, even if it's not in our lifetimes. Help us to trust and believe and to to understand that our lives are not our own, that we are bought by a price by you. We are not our own. And our lives find their meaning and their purpose as they're lived for the sake of others. May we plant more and more in more places and more ways that your harvest may be miraculous in every way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Go and plant. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.